Hi everyone, my name is Michaela, and this is the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast, Heartfelt Consciousness, where we spotlight stories from our community to uplift the collective consciousness. Thank you for being here and enjoy the episode. Hello everyone, welcome back to the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast, Heartfelt Consciousness. My name is Michaela. Today I have with me a very exciting guest, Shannon Kanashige, who is an influencer on Instagram. Follow them on, on Instagram. Um, that's how I found them. Um, and Shannon is here to talk to us a little bit about fat liberation and what that looks like in the yogic sphere. So I'm so excited to have you here, Shannon. Would you like to start and give yourself like a little intro, who you are, what you like? Sure. Uh, First, thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to meet you um, and to be here as well. Uh, My name is Shannon. I am um, a fat, white, non-binary yoga instructor and sociologist. Uh, So most of my I, I kind of see my yoga's practice as an extension of kind of sociology and social justice, um, specifically as like a fat activist, um, and also um, kind of moving in more towards uh, disability as well, as I see exactly how closely tied the two tend to be, so. Thank you so much for sharing. I had no idea you were in sociology. I minored in sociology, so I love wow. that. Yay. <laughs> that is so cool. It's helpful. I think I definitely come from like a macro view uh, because of my background in sociology. So that is so cool. So can you tell me a little bit about what you do for work? Uh, well, mostly I teach yoga and I teach other teachers how to teach yoga. Yes. Um, uh, my background, like I said, is in sociology. I have a master's degree in sociology where I studied privilege, power, Um, and how the two intersect. So I think it plays really well into what I'm doing. I've also worked as a um, nonprofit operations consultant. Um, So I have a background in like the nonprofit world and um, all of that as well. A wealth of experience. And that sounds like a lot of that. I love how you said that as yoga as an extension of your your work in social justice. And I think that that's beautiful. Can you expand upon that a little bit before we dive in? Because I think that that's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, yoga was a way for me to reconnect to a body that had been vilified. Um, And just being able to actually feel myself in my body became a bit more of an act of resistance and once I realized that this little microcosm on my mat um, where I could be me, I could touch my own body, I could move it how I needed to move um, was really a place where I could practice and then pull that out into the rest of the world. Um, And that's where I think kind of like the social justice happens, things like ahimsa, things like satya, practicing truth, practicing non-harm on your mat is just the beginning, because then we take it off the mat um, and we bring it into our lives and we apply it to the people around us and we apply it to larger social structures. Um, And so that's where I really see the connection between the two. I'm so intrigued to be able to talk to you today because this is such a cool perspective that I don't think I've ever really had the 
the opportunity to learn about the kind of applying these big yogic concepts to things like how can I take this into my activist work not just looking at the at the ideas as a whole and saying I agree or disagree about how can I take it and move into action with it so thank you so much for sharing that thank you um yeah I I I love the fact that it's a yoga practice, you know, because it really is a space where we're exploring. Um, And that kind of leads into like my work in accessible yoga and in adaptive, you know, frameworks and fat liberation in yoga spaces. Uh, Because when we can start to apply that on the mat, it's practice for, for pulling it off as well. That's a beautiful segue into my next question. Um, I've had the pleasure of seeing some of your accessible yoga content, which I love the just options and the availability for everyone. Um, It's beautiful. So talk to me about fat liberation. What is that? What does that look like for you as a whole, for us as a society? Yeah. uh, So I think that most people are probably more familiar with things like body positivity and maybe body acceptance, maybe even fat acceptance. Um, And when we talk about body positivity and body acceptance, these are individual things. It's about, you know, you coming back to your body, me coming back to my body um, and kind of learning to sit with like the truth of our bodies in the moments, really practicing satya. Um, And when we look at fat liberation, we're kind of pulling back away from ourselves as individuals. Certainly we're part of it, uh, but we're looking at the systemic issues. So we're looking at discrimination against folks who are fat. Um, We're looking about how discrimination affects life chances, how that discrimination interacts with other um, kind of intersectional identities. So what does it mean? to be um, white and fat, black and fat, disabled and fat, um, and how all of these kind of things work together in a way that supports white supremacy, supports patriarchy, um, and supports the status quo. Uh, So when we talk about fat liberation, really what we're talking about is equity across the board. Um, liberation for everyone, but focusing and centering fat folks in that space. Um, Because even within other liberation movements like queer liberation, a lot of times fat folks will be pushed to the side, just like disabled folks are pushed to the side. So liberation is really much larger than the individual. I love that. So you kind of gave us a little headway into that, your sociology background and your, your appreciation, your passion for viewing it from that perspective. Um, so that is really, I've never heard that term before you. And so that's a really unique perspective, um, which I appreciate a lot. I think it's a very new thing that is long overdue. I do have to say that, you know, fat liberation has actually been around for quite a while. Um, The fat acceptance movement started in the 60s, um, and then it kind of splintered off um, when 
it, it splintered off and we had the fat underground, which was really the beginning of like fat liberation itself again in, in I think the late 60s, 70s about. Um, so it's been around for quite a while. It's just not something that we talk about much uh, because we don't really talk about anything having to do with fat folks very much. That's the whole point. We're supposed yeah. to be, we're not supposed to be here. Um, yeah. And we're made invisible. Yeah. Thank and, you for, for sharing that. Yeah. Um, you said fat underground. I love this. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, I'm blanking on names right now. Uh, That's okay. The, the Fat Underground was uh, an offshoot of the Fat Acceptance Movement okay. uh, because they felt that really the work being done by the Fat Acceptance Movement wasn't pushing for enough equity, um, mm. you know, that they weren't pushing quite hard enough. Mm. Um, and it was led, I believe, by two queer women mm. um, to start the offshoot, uh, but they started doing more academic work in, in the area and um, more just like making themselves seen being loud. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's been a really important, um, it was, it was a really important part of the movement. Yeah. Thank you for that correction. I appreciate you. And I feel like that's a beautiful example of exactly what you were saying. Yeah, uh, we're not supposed to be here. And and whenever we can, we'll be kind of forgotten in that way. So I think that's where like, you know, there's lots of different ways to be an activist. And I think for me, like the most important one is to just be seen living my life, doing the things that I do and reminding people that we're here and we're part of the yoga community. We're part yeah. of all community. <laughs> really. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, side note, your, I was thinking about your soup recipe that you shared. Oh yeah. <laughs> How's your tummy? Are you feeling better? Yes. Thank okay. you. Yeah. Anxiety. So sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh, I just need something spicy and fermented. <laughs> mm, I love that. Yeah. Um, I thought about that post though, because you, there were some notes within your, your post that kind of echoed exactly what you were just kind of saying um so thank you for one for sharing online but thank you for sharing that with me um so it leads me kind of into my next question how does fat liberation for you tie into accessible yoga and yoga itself yeah um <clears throat> well for me there's usually, you know, there's like a bit of a journey, of course. <laughs> um, and that's why, like, I, I think that there's definitely room for like body positivity and, and body acceptance, because in order to get to a point where you're willing to fight, you have to realize that you're someone worth fighting for. Um, so you do have to spend time connecting with yourself first. Um, you don't have to be like on, on great terms, but you have to at least start building that connection. And for me, like yoga was definitely one of the spaces where that started to happen. It was movement in general. Yoga became much a much larger part of it. Um, because when you're in a large body or really any marginalized body, you're often told that your body doesn't matter. You know, um, it's about your inside, you know, your beautiful inside. 
you know, <laughs> akin to, you have such a beautiful face. Um, but I, I think the connection here is like, or not the connection, but the um, kind of impression is that, you know, your, your body doesn't matter. It's just kind of a container for everything else. Uh, so just, you know, forget about it. Um, or that the person inside of you is separate from your body. Um, and I think that these are really harmful because whatever experience we have, no matter what your, your larger philosophy is, whether you're like, I'm here to, you know, to really follow the path and to become enlightened eventually, um, and to let go of like, you know, physical things, you, you have to start by understanding that like our time here is deeply entwined with like the gross, with the physical, with the tangible. Um, and when you are in a marginalized body, when you're in a fat body or a disabled body, your body is a huge part of that experience and it affects your life chances. It affects the way that other people treat you, how they interact with you. It affects things like whether you get into the university you wanted to go to sometimes, like there's so much that kind of plays into it. It affects how people treat you, how, whether someone's nice to you, whether you're going to be accepted into the yoga program somewhere, if you want to be a yoga instructor. Um, so to discount it and be like, oh, it doesn't matter is, is harmful in so many ways, <laughs> because it's saying that, well, all that prejudice doesn't matter. All that discrimination doesn't matter. Um, you, you know, you can overcome it. Um, it also keeps us from unifying. It keeps us from, you know, expressing solidarity with each other because we're in competition in that way. Um, so for me, when I started kind of finding my way back to my body, it was extremely powerful because I was able to reconnect. I was able to be a whole person again. It wasn't me versus my body. It was, we are in this together. I had to accept myself as I was. And I had to start to parse out what thoughts were mine and what thoughts were kind of placed there by society about my body, about my lived experience. Because you're also taught that you can't trust your lived experience. Um, so for me, yoga became a way to really embody like my whole self and to maintain that connection. And once I realized how powerful that was for me, I, I wanted to help other people find it too. That became really important. And, you know, so I, I started with focusing on other, other fat folks or folks in larger bodies, however you want to identify. Um, and eventually I started to realize, well, you know, a lot of, why am I stopping here? <laughs> why am I stopping with just other fat folks? Like there are other people who are, who are kept apart from their body. There are other people who are told that their body is bad or that they just can't practice yoga because they can't come into the right shapes, which is just problematic for so many levels, um, on so many levels, but it became, well, I can't, I can't just focus on, on, on this one thing anymore because it's about everything. It's about all of it. 
And you can't have equity for one group until you have equity for all groups. Um, and there's also just a lot of overlap between folks who are in large bodies and disability. Not saying that all fat folks are disabled, <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I come from the social model of disability, which says that your impairment isn't what makes you disabled. What makes you disabled is that society is limiting your access. So if you're a wheelchair user, it's not that you know um, that you've had a spinal injury. That's your impairment. That's not your disability. Your disability comes from the fact that buildings aren't wheelchair accessible and they don't have lifts and things like that. So when you look at it that way, then I see fatness enclosed in that because seats aren't built for us. Um, you know, I went to yoga studios where I couldn't sit down in a chair in the waiting room because they didn't fit me. Um, or there's, there's so many other ways in which society isn't built for you as a fat person. And it limits the way that you can interact in the public sphere. So for me, fat liberation, accessible yoga, they're all kind of the, the same fight, um, just centering slightly different people. Um, and as long as we center the most marginalized among us, then you know we're we're speaking from the place of the person who needs um, you know the most resources redirected. So um, yeah, yeah, sorry, little tangent there. <laughs> no, no apologies. I think that was a really beautiful way of answering my question. You said several things there that stuck out to me. Um, it really does seem like such a disservice. All of that messaging that has, like you said, placed this belief system upon everyone to kind of separate themselves from that physical experience for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, we at MVP could take a very like integrative approach, especially when it comes to like things like ego or like the quote unquote parts of ourselves that we see as negative or that are perceived as bad. Um, there's this approach of integration versus separation, which I think was huge for me as someone who had a lot of self-hate that I didn't realize wasn't from me. It was from other things and people, you know? Yes. And so I can really appreciate what you're saying. Like what a disservice to then take people out of their bodies because you perceive them as bad or wrong. Yeah. Not even they perceive them as bad or wrong. Usually you don't even get the chance. Right. You know, you're told from when you're so, so young, you know, I know people, you know, you, you, you're put on your first you know, um, diet, you know, in, in single digits. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, it's, it's just, it's constant. And the thing is, everyone deals with this type of messaging to a certain extent, but it's about, it's about two things. It's about the frequency of it. And it's about how, how people's perceptions of you affect your life chances, um, that really make it about marginal, you know, marginalization, uh, to a greater extent. But I mean, I certainly like, that's the thing. If you can empathize with that, then imagine it just like all the time in your face, you know, and then you have a little bit more of the experience. Yeah. I, yes, I can imagine. I mean, I can only imagine. 
I don't know which phrase is more appropriate. I can imagine or I can only imagine, but yeah, <laughs> the sentiment is there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm, I have been one that I've always, I shouldn't say always, I had someone introduced to me and she was a friend of mine who was an older yogi in an older body who had issue with the term accessible yoga. She was like, I don't understand this. Why am I being given my own like separate version of yoga? Isn't yoga accessible period? Like, is it, hasn't it been adapted for everyone? So why am I being given this kind of like label? And so I, I really like what you said that yoga encompassing kind of like all of it. Yeah. I, all yoga should be accessible inherently. Yeah. But it's about how you teach it. It's about the way that you cue. Yeah. Um, that makes it open to more folks. And like, I'm a firm believer that you don't, you don't have to be the teacher for everyone, but you should be able to teach everyone who comes in your class. Like that's the big difference. That I want that. I want to write that down. That's a good one. Um, one hundred percent. I think that that's the key. I I would agree with you. Like you should be able to see anyone who comes to into the door and feel, ah, yes, I can hold space for this person. Yeah, and like we shouldn't be making assumptions because like there are lots of what look like you know that most people would assume right. are healthy, and of course right. it's an assumption because you there's no one way to look healthy, um, and we have people who, um, you know, who, who maybe are straight sized, but our, all of our body, our physiology is completely different. And so everyone needs options. Everyone needs variations, uh, but we tend not to offer them. And so, I mean, obviously there are so many ways to come into each posture and you can't offer all the options for each posture every single time. Um, and so you're going to be making some assumptions. And so my thing is the point isn't to never like mess up. The point is to just cause the least amount of harm possible. Um, so, you know, maybe I make some assumptions and maybe they're the wrong assumptions, but I'm going to keep trying. Um, you know, I'm going to keep offering, you know, I'm not going to hurt anyone by offering three different ways to come into a posture. Um, but I, I might hurt quite a few people by only offering one. So, yeah, I, I understand that the idea of like, well, why do we need special language for it? Um, but it can be really welcoming for folks who have gone into other yoga spaces and experienced exclusion to be like, okay, this person is using this terminology, which tells me that like, they're aware that there's a problem in the industry and that they're aware, <laughs> industry, very loose, um, but, <laughs> you know, they're aware that, like, not everyone teaches this way, and they're signaling to me that I am welcome here, and that they will have variations for me, um, so. I like yeah. that. I like that. Thank you for that perspective. Um, that kind of leads me into my next question. So, I think it sounds like you've kind of already answered it, a big tip for any teachers listening is to just learn how to be comfortable giving options to everyone. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Making it a baseline to just give options and make make it like, come as you are, take what you need, leave the rest kind of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think 
just by starting out a class by saying, look, we're kind of setting a pace, but if it's too fast, slow down. If it's not fast enough, add in some vinyasas when you feel like, you know, you could still keep moving and we're taking a break. Um, you don't have to practice every posture I offer. Let me know if you need a variation. I'll be offering variations, but let me know if you need one in particular. Just by making it more of a space where people feel comfortable taking what they need, leaving what they don't. Um, I think that that can make such a huge difference. And I also think it's really, really important to learn from people who are in marginalized bodies. So take your trainings with folks who are, you know, dealing with uh, those issues uh, because they're going to have the best perspective um, and make sure that, you know, you're just really clear about what you're teaching in your classes. Like I said, you don't have to be there to teach for every single person, you know, maybe you're doing a headstand class <laughs> and all you're doing is inversions. There are lots of people who can't practice inversions, but if you let people know that's what you're going to be practicing, they have the agency to make the decision to say, maybe this is class for me. Maybe it isn't. Um, <clears throat> or maybe they come in and say, look, I'm telling you these issues and you can come up with variations for them. But the whole point is to start with as much information as possible so that people have the agency to do what they need to do for their bodies and for their minds. I think that's one of the most beautiful things that we can do as we, the collective, as yoga teachers is to just be able to hold space for people to learn that. Cause I know for myself, I didn't feel that agency in any part of my life. I was like, wait a minute, I can show up to this yoga class and not do what they're telling me to do. Yeah. So I think that that's so, thank you for bringing that up. I think that that's one of the best things that we can do. Um, because what a pleasure for them to then go out in their life and say no to something that doesn't serve them. Exactly. And like I said, you know, what happens in, on our mat is practice for taking it off the mat as well. So it's, it's all just a beautiful place to like, be able to learn your own boundaries so that you can then bring them out into the world with you as well. Yes. The self-practice or the self-study rather, the study. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, wonderful. So I, you've already answered my questions because you're just <laughs> on a roll and you, Sorry. no, don't apologize. No, it's beautiful. You've been, you, I think it's just like the fluidity of the conversation. It's been really nice. Um, so is there anything else that you feel is important to, to talk about, to mention in this kind of, this whole process of making sure that we are creating a welcoming space for everyone, not just in the yogic world, but then in our, in our lives? Yeah. Um, I think remembering, like taking a look at your own privilege in different circumstances, excuse me, is really important uh, because it, it lets you understand where you can advocate. Um, it helps you understand maybe why you are where you are and why other people aren't there. Um, and if you do want to be an ally, you know, it allows you to kind of see <clears throat> maybe where you have more um,
more space. A lot of the times, you know, um, like as someone who's fat, I don't always have the energy to deal with walking into a space and, and hearing people snicker behind me, um, especially in a space like a yoga studio. Um, and as a teacher, you might think, oh, of course I would stop it. Um, but when you're there in the moment, sometimes you're just like, well, I don't know. Um, not that, you know, I, I don't want to intercede. I don't want to make the, the person uncomfortable by calling out other people. Um, so I think like understanding your privilege, understanding like you have the ability to quietly walk over to those people and be like, hey, maybe not. Maybe this isn't the space to act like that um, or whatever it is, you know, understanding that like, yeah, I can turn around and be like, what? <laughs> but that's going to ruin my class. That's going to ruin like my whole experience. Um, so understanding like, hey, I have power in this position because I'm, a, I'm the teacher. Or even if you're another student, like I am not the one who is being um, you know, essentially bullied in those circumstances. I can do something about this. Um, and again, like some people might be like, I don't need you to stand up for me. Uh, you know, and, and you have to be willing to accept that, like, that might happen. And understand, like, from your own, like, moral standpoint, like, how does that affect me? Is that something I'm willing to do? Is it not something I'm willing to do? Um, and know, know those things uh, going into it, because that allows you to like advocate, um, not necessarily, I shouldn't say advocate, but allows you to uh, kind of hold space for the people around you in a way that um, might just kind of trickle by otherwise, you know, uh, maybe, you know, you look around the room as another just practitioner and you see someone who um, maybe is using a mobility device and, you know, you've got the last spot near the wall, you know, and maybe they need the space to put their mobility device, or maybe they need the assistance of the wall for balancing postures. You have the agency to say, you know what, I don't need this space. They might, you can offer it to them, or you can just get up and move somewhere else and, you know, leave the space for someone who might need it. So these are things that we normally don't always think about unless we're aware of the privilege that we're carrying and the power that we have in the position. So I think like just exploring our own kind of privilege, our own power can create a much more welcoming space for people coming into it. Thank you for that. I think that that's a great place to start as well. And I don't think that that's something that I do enough either. Um, so I appreciate that reminder. Thank you. Well, and I think it's important to note that like the, the power of privilege is that you don't see it until you don't have it. Right. You know, you don't see it when, when you, when you have the privilege in this situation, <laughs> it only becomes apparent when you no longer have it. Um, so it can be hard sometimes, I think, especially as like, you know, maybe cis hat white folks, you know, to see it but once you see it then you have an obligation to address it either you know either you you care or you don't um and either you want to change things or you don't and i'm not here to tell you to do one or the other um you know that's that's your 
moral and ethical quandary, um, I can tell you what would probably lead to a better world. <laughs> uh, so, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and I, that brings me back to kind of what you said earlier, that, which I think is really important. And especially as teachers of a practice that is not a white practice, that is yeah. a Indian South Asian, however, whatever viewpoint that you buy into, because I know that there's some um, people who have different viewpoints about how to call it, whether it's Indian or South Asian. So mm -hmm. just respecting the fact that it is not a white practice. Yeah. And just kind of coming into that, learning from the people who have the experiences that are not yours. Yes. That is so key. And so listeners, <laughs> <laughs> Moving into our last kind of our last kind of question here, tips on how to become involved in upli uplifting fat liberation, just uplifting the idea of accessible community for everyone, regardless of their physical circumstance. Listening, yes, listening, Definitely. yes. What else would you say after listening? Cause I feel like we should say that five mm -hmm. times. It's got like the five, yeah. <laughs> top five ones. Yeah. Um, taking it on yourself to educate yourself and it's not listen to the folks who have this lived experience, but understand it is not their job to educate you. Um, some of us are putting ourselves out as educators. You know, um, I offer mentorships, things like that. There are lots of people who do, but a lot of us are just trying to practice and teach without teach our students without having to, um, you know, be in that space. So um, the there's the fat studies reader. It's a really great comprehensive look um, at um, kind of fat liberation movement, um, fat acceptance movement. Um, it's a great place to start. Um, Google is always your friend. Um, and, you know, just being curious, like continuing to be curious, um, and studying with different people, even if you're not taking trainings, just going to classes with people who have different lived experience, you know, how many people have taken a chance, have taken a class with someone who, with a disabled teacher, um, or a fat teacher or someone from outside of your own ethnic or cultural background, um, so just expanding that, seeing what else is out there and taking it on yourself to learn and to speak up, um, you know, to, if you're going to a studio and there are no fat folks there, if there are no disabled folks there, maybe asking why and being like, hey, maybe we can make space for, for people here. Um, because if they're not there, they can't advocate for themselves. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I really appreciate that last one. That's, I, that's a good one. You know, taking a look at the students that are showing up and seeing that as a reflection of the offering yeah. that's being given. Because if you don't feel comfortable, you're not going to go into this space. Absolutely um, not. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I did not go into studios for yeah, I've been practicing off and on since I was six and I didn't go into a studio until I was in my thirties. I had tried a couple of times and, you know, people were like, oh, are you waiting for someone? Um, and, or I just 
looked at it, looked at the people who were going in and thought, I, I am not going to be safe in this space. <laughs> um, and just turned around and left. Uh, so yeah, like if, if people don't feel safe in that space, they're not going to come into it. Um, or if they at least don't, if they at least, I mean, it's hard to feel safe in any space, right? But if they don't feel like they're going to be supported, they're not going to walk in. Absolutely. Yeah. So listen, take it upon yourself to educate yourself as it is not anyone else's responsibility to do that. Google is your friend. And I will um, we'll have a link for the listeners for that uh, resource. I can't even remember. I wrote it down. That's why Fat Studies Reader. Yeah. I will have a link for that in the uh, description of the episode, as well as Shannon's uh, Instagram, if you would like to go see their Instagram and their content there. Um, they do a lot of really fun, accessible yoga stuff um, and some fun like food stuff. So there was a nice <laughs> soup recipe this morning that looked delicious. Um, anyway. Is there anything else that you would like to share with me, with the listeners, with the world before we part ways for the day? Um, I, you know, I think I've said a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess just, I don't even know. I think, I think mostly just, you know, remember that the people who aren't in the space, it might not be because they don't want to be there. It might be because they don't feel comfortable being there. Um, so yeah, that's all really <laughs> do with that, what you will let's make it to where the dream is that everyone at some point feels welcome. So yeah, I think that's a nice way to end it. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. for <laughs> Thank you. Me. I appreciate you and your time and your sharing with us. You absolutely did not owe it to us to do so. So I appreciate you so much. Um, yeah. Thank you listeners. And I'll see you next week.